It's time for this, isn't it? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I don't know if we quite got there. I feel like, though, let's do this again. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Okay, that's what I was looking for. Hey, I'm going to do something just really quick here. I just feel like the Lord has led me to do something just slightly different right here at the very beginning. We're not even in the sermon, but I just want to pray for a moment, okay? I just want to ask the Lord into here. This message that I'm about to give is um, surpassingly important, and it's going to take a lot of connect. And I'm not sure if I'm feeling his presence in a way that would connect just yet. So I just want to take a moment and say, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you for this season. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the worship that we've had. Thank you for the, the gifts and the, the abundance that you have poured out. But God, in this season, we don't forget that what we're about, what we're doing, what this is, is you. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we remind ourselves in the midst of all the noise, of all the busy, of all the extra stuff, of all that is in this season, which is so wonderful. But we don't let you get crowded out. To the contrary, God, we just press right into the very heart, to your very heart. Today you are going to take your heart and you're literally going to Peel it open at several different levels in order to show us you. Well, Lord, in Jesus' name, we need that. And so while we, while we come to this moment, we get our hearts prepared. We just lay aside everything else. We lay aside concerns. We lay aside busyness. We lay aside joy. We lay aside every other thing that would distract. That we might enter right into the very center of you. Your glory lighting us up. Your glory touching our minds and causing us to understand in ways that we would not otherwise. Your glory that will come in and burn out of us what is us and we'll leave standing what is you. We'll refine us to a place to where we look and are conformed more to who you are. God, I'm asking you that this moment, these next moments that we share, should be so overflowing with you that not one of us can even begin to walk out of here the same as what we walked in. That you would take and transform our lives. This is what everybody in this place asks you for right now. God, just do that, would you? With him, just ask him, God, transform me. Change me. Let me get what it is you're wanting to say. Let it be said well and let it go in deeply and be planted and rise up to a hundredfold. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, the only thing that's important in this world is you. We celebrate it in this season. But God, we don't lose our focus. 
You're the only thing. And you are magnificently and utterly everything. So we come before you thanking you, praising you. Jesus' holy and precious name, take these next moments and have them drip like honey with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Switch appropriate, as you can see. Like I said. <laughs> so they're going to they're gonna try and fix it here, so we're taking 10 seconds. Hi, is everybody having a good Christmas? Amen, amen. <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you for that. Merry Christmas indeed. Okay. Tell me you're ready. Okay, thank you. All right, hopefully that works. I am hearing myself in the monitors, so just kill those, and I think that'll, that'll do it. Okay, thank you. All right, go ahead and start the clock, or you already have. Thank you for that. All right, so we've done the Merry Christmas already, so I just want to tell you a funny thing happened on the way to this sermon. I was, uh, I got from a very early, oh, I don't have my clicker. That would be about par for the course. Can you just click the screen for me and then bring me up a, a clicker, if you would? Okay, and just, are you there? So here's what I got. When I was... When I was out on my walk at the very beginning, this is, we're not in Luke right now, we're in the Christmas season, I knew we weren't supposed to do the next verses, I knew that they were coming in January, and so I didn't know what we were going to do, so it was totally open-ended, and I went out, and very early on, God put that on my heart. What is love? What is it? And to look at that, and to examine it, and to take some time with it. And so I found myself in this curious place, okay? So I'm trying to define love, and I'm going to all the various places you might think to look for that. And so one of them would be, for example, the dictionary. And listen to its definition of love. A strong affection for another arising out of a kinship or personal ties. Thank you, God, for your presence. Attraction based on sexual desire. Affection based on admiration, benevolence, or common interest. Now, that's a perfectly wonderful definition of love. And if you were looking it up and being casual about it, you would say, yeah, sure, that describes what it is. These affections and these attractions and so on, and that's love. And the problem is, is that pretty quickly, if you were being serious about it and looking at it, I'm still getting an echo, thanks. If you were looking at it seriously, what you would get is, you'd get, a, you'd get to a place to where you felt like as much as that may explain sort of the superficial or the lower levels of love, it doesn't even begin to touch the more, does it? It really doesn't. Now, so, you know, you go to anthropologists and sociologists and these kinds of people, and they, what they say is they say, look, here's what love is. It's just genetic survival. It's just survival of the fittest, genetic pruning, and so on, where the idea is the guy who was the lone wolf wanted to do it on his own, got ate by the wolf. So he didn't pass on his genes. So the people that wanted to be collective, wanted to be together, they got together, and so there's this strong genetic selection because they were able to hunt, and they were able to protect each other and so on. So they were the ones that propagated, and so we have this sort of you know, evolutionary biology thing where we've been selected to be attracted to one another because it's good for survival of the whole. And once again, if that's what you want to believe, you, you, can explain, you can use that kind of logic and explain everything. The problem is, may I say it this way? 
because this would be an anathema to somebody who thinks that way. But nonetheless, it, it, would be, it lacks in poetry because poetry discovers a reality that's there. And that even though you could argue that explains it, it still seems to be that the experience of it, the expression of it, is larger. So I, then I thought about 1 Corinthians 13, and I thought, well, I'll just go through 1 Corinthians 13. There's love. There's God defining love. Now, do not misunderstand what I'm saying, because that is a gorgeous description of love, right? But it, too, doesn't get us to transcendence. It doesn't get us to what love really is in an essence. And so I just found myself, like I say, trying to figure out how to do this, and I found myself in the place of the Supreme Court Justice who, in ruling on an obscenity case, in having to make a definition between what is art and what is not art, okay, let me not use the words because it's Christmas and I don't want to talk like that, but when art versus other things, what he said was, it turns out the harder I try, the more I discover that I cannot give you an adequate descriptor. I cannot give you an adequate definition so as to define it legally so that it's cut and dried. But here's what I do know. I know it when I see it. And that's both ways. I know it when I see it. So then I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to embarrass and steal crowns from everybody in this place, and I'm going to lift up Eric Lees and Joel's and Hannah's, and I'm going to lift up all these people in the church and put up, we were literally getting the pictures. You're going to be so glad I didn't do this because it would have embarrassed you horribly. And I was just going to talk about, if I can't define love, at least I can show it to you because there's a whole lot of people in this body that love other people in ways that are extraordinary. And I wanted you to see that. Now, at the end of that, this is what I was working on, at the end of that, there was this one little thought that I had about a layer, an interesting thing that is a side of the angels and the, when they announce Jesus being born to the shepherds. There's an aspect of that that we don't think about. It's there, but we don't think about it. And I thought, well, that'll be the capper to the sermon. And so on Wednesday morning, having all these thoughts in my head, I went out there to sort of just get it refined like would normally happen, and I'm walking out there, and all of a sudden, God took that one little insight, and he said, here, unwrap it. And I unwrapped it, and inside was, oh my gosh. And then he said, now unwrap that. And so I unwrapped that, and inside of that was a, you gotta be kidding me. And then he said, now unwrap that, and I unwrapped that. And as I did, all of a sudden I found something about love that makes, that shows you why that's superficial. That shows you why it isn't true. As much as it's true on some level, it's not true. So that's what we're going to do today. I have this present that I think God has given that he wants us to feel, to experience. May I say, it's going to take just a little. You don't have to pay too much attention, but you've got to pay some attention today. If you drift off, it ain't going to work. Because there's going to be a revelation in here that I think if you get to where I got to, and I believe in the Lord's, by the Lord, we will, that it is the kind of thing that's going to make you feel differently about what love is forevermore. It's going to make you see it differently and experience it much more holy and more profound than we ever have. 
So with that in mind, John Nateze, where are you, John? Or Nateze, John, uh, how these things go. Where are you, John? There you are, right there. Thank you, John. How you doing? Uh, would you pray for the message, and would you pray for another church too, John? Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. Thank you for bringing us together this morning as a family and as your children, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity you have given to us to come together and worship you and to hear your word. Lord, the Bible said, the man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out from the mouth of the Lord. Lord, as we are going for the sermon, we pray that you bless this sermon. And I pray for the pastor. I pray whatever he's going to speak today will bring honor and glory to you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, John. Thank you. All right. So the passage that I said God had, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now suddenly the angel was joined by a vast horde of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now you heard it say in that first part, let me go back to it, in that first part, the Lord's glory surrounded them. So this is not just an instance of an angel showing up and pronouncing something. This is the Lord's glory, and the angels are explaining what's happening around them. So if that's the case, tell me now, what is it that God is experiencing at this moment? What's his emotional state? What is it? Just yell it out. Awe. Go ahead. What else? Exuberance. That is perfect. Joy, abundance, party time, right? Celebration. This is, God is just overflowing with, this is the coolest thing ever. This is awesome. Look at this. This is incredible, right? This is what God's state is. Now that's extraordinary for this reason. This truly is how God feels at this moment. But remember that God stands outside of time. So he is experiencing genuine joy, and nothing I'm about to say comes away from that joy or takes away from it all. To the contrary, everything I'm about to say should deepen the profoundness of the joy that he has. But the problem is, is that there is another side to this moment in a God who stands outside of time, isn't there? Because at the very same moment that he is rejoicing, bringing his glory, he is also feeling at every moment of his existence, because he's outside of time, he is also feeling what happened here. So while he is overjoyed, he is also feeling a pain, a real pain. Now we're going to explain how there's a joy too, of course, which you all know and you all go to immediately. But I want you for a moment to stick with the pain thing, because, watch this, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, what's that about? What, what's he? We see, we see him being beaten. We see a crown of thorns crushed on his heads, and we see him nailed to a cross and dying in the most brutal way that you could die. 
the Romans being very good at such things in order to keep people down, in order to make them afraid. And so they have this brutal way of killing him. But the fact of the matter is, is all of that is the physical that is pointing to something deeper, which is this moment of profound when Jesus becomes sin, he who has been eternally one with the Father and the Son is separated. Even if only for a moment, he's separated. This is what he doesn't want. This is why he goes into the garden and says, you know, uh, you know, he prays so hard. In anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. What's he in anguish about? There's going to come a separation. That, that <laughs> You see it? Now, we always, I've done this before, and we always think of it as Jesus to the Father and the Holy Spirit, but think about it for a second. The Father and the Holy Spirit are feeling the same thing back towards Jesus. They know that a moment is coming. They know that there's this moment that is with them always of separation. Do you see it? And all of a sudden, I'm hoping that right here, because this is that thing that God gave me, that then we're going to start unwrapping it now. But this is that thing that when, when God comes and he is so overjoyed about the moment of Christ's arrival, that at the same time there is this undergirding of the cost. There's this undergirding of the other things that it means that is in him. And it makes more extraordinary how joyful and exuberant is. You see it? That makes it more so. It takes it to a deeper and richer level. Now, if that's true, and I believe it is, we need to plumb this for a second because we're going to start to see something here, a difference between Jesus who is God, but who also came in flesh, and the Father and the Holy Spirit who are still spirit. Watch this, okay? Jesus said, the reason why God does this, the reason why he's overjoyed is why. Because even though there's this enormous cost, what's at the end of it? Yeah, relationship. He made us to be with us, and now it's coming back. And he is so thrilled. He's so excited about that, that the cost thing is trumped, transcended by the joy thing, right? And this is exactly what is said about Jesus. Because it says, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race for him. What he's saying is, is, look to Jesus and learn from him and do the same. See how he did it. Study how he did it. He never lost sight of where he was headed. The joy that lay before him. He could put up with anything along the way. Now, the, the, way, that, uh, the way that Hebrew says this and the message says this, it actually interprets that and it says it this way. It says, the joy that was before him was being with God. But let's be clear about something. If the joy that Jesus was going through, that he was headed towards, was being with God, he never had to come and get us. He was with God. He never had to do the separation thing. That's not the joy. What is the joy that was before him? What is it? Us. Reconciling us. The joy that was before him is you. This is the thing that he went... Whatever to me, all for you. Right? Now think about that for a second, because watch what happens. Starting to unwrap now, right? Father, if you're willing, Jesus says on that last night, if you're willing, 
please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now, I've read that and preached that and everything else. And for the first time, I want you to watch what he showed me about that. Think about this for a second. There's two wills here. There's Jesus's and there's God's. But wait a minute, Jesus is God. But there's two wills. What do you mean there's two wills? Not my will, but yours. Two, count them. <laughs> right there. What's being said here is that Jesus is genuinely human. Which is to say that he has this body of flesh that has something about it which is not actually fully committed to the beautiful, glorious, more transcendent, incredible things that God has for us. It's flesh that's about something else. My understanding, my way, right? See, what we see there is that Jesus in the garden had genuine free will, just like you do. You who have been born again now have two things in you, right? You have the new nature, the one that is God, and you can put your mind on the things of the Spirit, and it will be life. Or you can put your mind on the old things of the flesh, and you die. So there's this same, Jesus was doing, we, we know the Scripture says he was tempted in every way, as were we, doesn't it? It says that. So the fact of the matter is, there really was a temptation for Jesus as to whether or not to go through this separation. He could have said, nah. <laughs> he could have gone according to his flesh and said, nah. And what he had to do, in fact, in order to get past his flesh was what? We just read it. He had to pray so hard that his sweat became as drops of blood. That was him getting his flesh to stand down. Do you see it? This is what he's having to do. Now, having said that, I, we can say this all of a sudden. Jesus has two wills, but God only has one. And I want you to look at the second part of that statement more than the first. Because we've already established Jesus has two, but is it true that God only has one? Of course it is. And watch. But just going back to the flesh for a second. The reason why, you see, I, when I think of when I think of the flesh, I think of I have sinned. That to me is flesh. What I didn't see until this week was just having flesh, period. Even if you never choose, because Jesus never chose evil, so never did sin, right? But it didn't mean his flesh wasn't there wanting to do something different than the glorious that God had. Do you see it? So there really is something about the flesh, even if it's not sinning, that is still about who? Me, flesh is self, whether it sins or not. And it's there. And what I just said was, is that God doesn't have this kind of self because look at this, he's not flesh, he's spirit. So he doesn't have these two. Not only that, but there's no self-preservation in God. He's always existed and he's always going to exist and everything that exists is because of him. There's no threat, there's no fear, there's no, there's no sense of self-preservation. Even more deeply, he never says, not my will, but yours. He never makes it clear that there's a will that he doesn't really want to do. But, you know, after all, it would be better for us. So I got to get over that hurdle. Now, right there, I'm hoping a light's starting to go on in your head. God never thinks about himself. 
He doesn't have the sense of self that we do. So what does he think about all the time? Us. That's his orientation. It's never a struggle for him to figure out if he should bless us or save us or, take what, or do whatever it takes in order to bring us. Do you see it? Which is, again, going back to this moment here, what this moment is. It's not God saying, well, I guess it'd be better to save him than to not have Jesus be separated, so you know, okay, and I'll, I'll make it celebratory, but it's going to be a little bit of a facade because there's also the sadness about what creeps you are. You know what I mean? And thanks a lot for killing me. No, what it says is, is with whom God is pleased. Really? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't see God? You're pleased with me? Yeah. All about you. Let me go a little bit deeper. Watch this. This is our definition, our Webster's definition again. And let me just point out some words to you here. Affection, attraction, affection. We're unwrapping again now, okay? So now watch this. Affection, attraction. Here's what this is. Here's how we define love. It's how I feel. See, the orientation of love is how I'm feeling. My affections, my attractions. Do you see it? It's me. The problem with our definition of love is it makes it about me when God always makes it about the other, us. All of a sudden, we're starting to see that the way that God loves is like completely different than ours, like massively different than ours. In fact, let me show you something. There is this point in time, of course, where Isaiah says, all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. Do we understand where the pollution comes from now? Because there's always us in whatever we do. There's always a thing of self that has, if, it ha if we still got to the right conclusion, we still have added self in a way that subtracts from just other, period. Instantaneous, immediate. Watch this. This is, this is the calculation. Now, there's some people like Julie Brunk who, I'm, I'm sure that if she were listening to this, and she probably isn't because I'm sure she's setting up cookies and eggnogs. So, oh, you're here. I love you, sweetheart. <laughs> All right. Now, now, Julie, I don't, I, when I say this, Julie's going to say, first she's going to say, I don't do that. I just do it. I just do whatever. But everybody in here, including Julie, once I get done with you, is going to say, even if you don't always do this, everybody in here at some point in time in an act of love has done a calculation. We've done an equation. Here's the equation. I got something else to do. I'm tired, I'm worn out, or whatever. I really don't want to help that person because I have this something else to do. Because I was, I'm, was going somewhere else and I'm going to have to stop and I don't know what that's going to mean. And we have to do this equation, right? Even if it's quite innocent, even if it's like a great thing we're about to go do, we still have to make this equation of, gee, what was I planning on doing versus what can I do now to help this person? And then the second thing that we do is, after we get that, is we say, but I know it would really bless them. Right? See, you know, if, somebody, if you've ever owned a pickup truck, that is an invitation to help everybody you know move. <laughs> if you don't like to help people move, do not buy a pickup truck. 
I don't care how nice they are now. Don't do it. Okay? Because you're going to get asked to ev- by everybody. But I know that it would really bless them. So, and I want to say, I think the person that probably fulfills this right here, I, I, I think they're gone today, but Roger Maddox. I think Roger Maddox does so many things because in the end, his calculation is, it's going to bless them. Now, we can add another layer on here, but look at how self this is. I also know that if I help this person, even though I don't want to, and I make a sacrifice, it's going to make me feel good. So what's the orientation? Me again. <laughs> Still me. See? And so having gone through this equation, I come to the conclusion that I should help them. Although, as happens oftentimes, you've walked far enough away that you decide, ah, I'm too far away and I'm just going to go on. Because <laughs> it took you that long to make the decision. Right? Let's get the difference here between the love that is ours and the love that is God's. We talk all the time about marriage and this thing that God is doing in marriage. And here's what happens. The first reason why two people get together is they're wandering around and they see somebody they're interested in. This, is, this gets my hormones going. This gets my pheromones going. There's something I like about that person in whatever dimension that is. And then you, and then, but then at some point in time, you finally, and then it goes like this. And the first stage of love is always, even though there are differences, it is fundamentally about sameness. This person is like me. I didn't know there was anybody that was so like me, and I could just be me with this person because they're so much like me. The first level of love is always about a sameness. But then what happens? The honeymoon ends, and you discover they're not like you at all, (laughs) right? You have to fall out of love with the person that you thought you married so you can fall in love with the person that God brought you. And why did he bring you? Because it turned out there was something incredibly deep that was missing in you. It was Adam ripped apart to male and female. There is something in both. And there's something missing in both. And it's in the coming together of the two that it goes back into wholeness. And so all of a sudden, you've got this thing where there is this place that love gets to. And everybody who's been married for a long time knows it because everybody's gone through it. And if you haven't gone through it, I don't know, just lay hands on the rest of us so we don't ever have to go through it. Except don't, because it would be taking away the richness and the incredibleness of what God's actually doing. Because what God does ultimately is is he takes it to the love of an other. It's not about, can I just tell you, and Julie, you're in here, so I am falling in love with my wife because of my sermons. (laughs) She always says, she says, Kurt, you never get to preach a sermon that you don't have to live. (laughs) And I preached a sermon a while back about Julie and her car and my, my car, and her car was just piled to the gills, and mine's totally clean. And I, told, and I talked to her about how every time I walked, walked into her car, it was just like this assault to my, you know, just, ah! You know what I mean? But the thing is, is God taught me one day, as I said in that sermon, I said, God taught me to start seeing what that pile actually was, what it represented. And what it represented to be embarrassing to myself was how much she was about other people how many things she was doing for so many people. 
And I got to tell you, that's where it started, but it has not quit. It continues to grow in me in a way that I'm just sitting here going, thank you, God, for this. Because, I, because Julie and I are different on all kinds of levels, profoundly different. And what I'm finding is things that I would have looked at and in the difference, and I would have just written it off because she's so wonderful in other areas. See, but you see what that is? That's not appreciating her for who she actually is and why I needed that. And now every time I see, it's almost becoming second nature to me that every time I think about something that is about her that, doesn't, that isn't instantly sort of pleasing, what's happening is the next thought I have, and now it's getting to where it's right on top of that thought is, well, what is it about that thing that she's bringing that I'm not that is wonderful for us and that it makes me better? It's better, period, for me, for all. You see what I mean? When I'm seeing these differences now, I'm almost reflexively now. I'm not quite there, but I'm almost to the place to where instantaneously do I think about the difference that she is and how I'm not that. And how wonderful it is that she is that and how much I need that. I'm never going to be that, but thank God that she is that because now we in one can be that. Which is better, do you see it? Behind every good man is a good woman. There's something very sexist about that, and who cares for right now? Because what I want to say is that's really true with us. I am an incredibly different human being because of that woman. Incredibly different. And I'm getting even more different as I start to understand who she really is in fullness and how that's a blessing from God to me. He's giving me a gift. Do you see it? Not in the way that she's like me, but in precisely the way she's not. Right? Now the reason why God's doing that is because he's trying to teach us how to love him who is what? There's no more other than him. <laughs> he's the ultimate other. Now we're going to see this in one second, but I just want to show you something that's happening in culture right now that's going to set us up for this deeper revelation. Now watch this. Facebook. How many people in this room are not on Facebook? Raise your hands. That is a remarkable number of people, and you must all have a lot of peace in your lives. More power to you. Here's, here's what's just happened. The former, the former president, the founding president of Facebook, has been giving a critique for a number of years, and now the vice president, a vice president who was in charge of things, has come out and said, the former Facebook exec says, social media is ripping apart society. Now here's, now here's what they're saying, and I want you to get to the depths of this. Now watch this. Watch what he's saying. He's saying, we, we figured out early on that we needed people to stay on our platform, and that people like talking to their friends and seeing what their friends are doing, so that would help them stay on the platform. But we needed to make sure that they stayed on the platform more and more and more, because the more they stay on the platform, the more advertising, the more things that we can do. So here's what Facebook did, which you don't know about, innocent little Facebook. Facebook did some unbelievable research down to the very core of how our brains work, particularly having to do with dopamine. What they discovered was is the people, the reason why people like being with each other is when I see Greg Thatcher, I get an immediate, every time I even think about him, I get this immediate dopamine hit. I'm addicted to him. <laughs> I get a dopamine hit. That's a, dopamine works in the brain in the exact opiates are an imitation of dopamine. And you get addicted. 
And when I see Greg, just thinking about Greg makes me happy. I get a little dopamine hit. I get a little happy. When you go on to Facebook and you write something and friends like it, every one of those likes gives you a dopamine hit. And the more likes, the more dopamine hit you get. And the more dopamine hits you get, the more what are you? Addicted. And here's what Facebook figured out fairly early on. If we keep people interacting with all of their friends, all the people that they know, they will be getting likes and dislikes. So we want to channel them into areas where they're going to get a dopamine hit of like. So we're going to algorithmically figure out who are you like because you tend to like and push like, and that gives you a dopamine hit, and we're going to filter out of your life the things that might get you off of Facebook because somebody is not liking you. You see it? It's, you see what it's doing? It's segmenting us. It's segmenting us. It's segmenting us. What he's saying when he says this is, is he says, what you don't understand is he says, literally, we're part of the cause of the divisions that we're feeling in the world right now because what's happening is, is we've so grouped people that like one another and they're getting so much dopamine hit from it that it's causing them to inside of a bubble, an echo chamber, where they're only hearing the things that people that agree with them, which is reinforcing confirmational biases and a thousand other things in such a way as that it makes it more difficult to ever even hear and understand what somebody else is saying that doesn't agree with you. Do you see it? Now think about that for just a second, because this is incredibly profound in the level of what we're doing today. We are becoming prisoners of what we like. Do you see it? Which is the first stage, it's the initial level. It's a love of same. They figured out how to turn the volume up on high to get good dopamine hits for sameness. But what, what, what's the cost? You're getting increasingly isolated and in, unable to connect with people who are not like. And so the problem is we're never getting to the deeper level of what God wants and likes for us. You remember what marriage was? It starts out as love of same, but it always gets to where God is because it's who God is. Love of other. Priority of other. Respect of other. Honor of other. All me for other. And so the point is, is we're losing out on the deeper level of the love of other. This is literally happening to us. This is an example where we've come to find out how deeply God is other. Moses has led the people through the Red Sea. God has done it, but Moses led them. And when they get to this side, Aaron and Miriam say, what about us? You should listen to us too. And God says, really? All right, let's check that out. Here's what he says. He says, come out in front of your tent. I'm going to talk to you in front of everybody. Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. That's not how it is with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles. He beholds the form of the Lord. He knows, sees who I really am. Now, I want, you to, I want you to see a hierarchy here, okay? 
The hierarchy is the lowest level of getting information, of having communication with God is dreams and visions. Because they're riddles. Another way of translating is they're dark things difficult to understand. You have to work through them to understand them. And what he's saying is that's the lowest level of relationship with the Lord. The thing that comes above that is what? Face to face. Talking like a friend. Having a person being able to do that. That's what he's trying to get us. He starts with dreams, but he's not ending us in dreams. He's not wanting us to go deeper into dreams and visions and so on. He's wanting us to get to know him to where we understand him, to where we can have an actual relationship with him on the surface. Because that's what the New Testament is all about. Becoming one with him. He's given us a new nature where we can do this face-to-face thing. We don't need a priest anymore. We're all priests. Do you see it? But even then, there's a deeper level to it, isn't there? Because initially what God always does is shows up in a way that you can understand. Because if he showed up in everything that he was, what would happen? Why, you'd just die. So he makes himself knowable to you in the way that you need him to be knowable. Which is what Moses figures out. Because Moses has been talking to God face to face and what he comes to at some point in time is he says, you know what? The more I talk to you face to face, the more I come to understand This is just you showing me something so that I can understand you. And the more I'm coming to understand you, I'm understanding that there is a lot more to you. And so what he says to the Lord is, see, this is the initial stage. He's appearing in a way Moses can speak with him face to face. But then he says, let me see your glory. See, he's saying there's more to you. I want to see your glory. Now, when he does that, do you see what he's doing? He's moving to the deeper relational love, and he discovers him who is completely and utterly other. The relationship has progressed to the point to where he's starting to understand, oh, he turns out not to be like me at all. God says, you can't see my face. Now, that's a really interesting way of him putting it. He could have said, you can't see my glory. But he said, the truth is, is even though I'm talking to you face to face, you're right. (laughs) There's so much more. And you can't see even that, but what you won't die. So what I'm going to do for you, because I love you, is I'm going to put you in a cleft of a walk, and I'm going to walk by, I'm going to put my hand over it. I'm going to pronounce my name as I go past. And at the very end, I'm going to take my hand away, and you can glimpse on me for just a moment. And when Moses glimpses on him for just a moment, he fell to the ground. And I want to say as though dead, even though it doesn't say that. But I want you to understand that this is the same thing that everybody who ever encounters God in his more majestic aspects, in his more glorious aspects, every single person that ever does that falls to their face. Why? Let me propose to you that what it is is that yourself, that thing in you that's self, it can't stand to be in the presence of him who is all other. Holiness just means different than you. (laughs) Holiness just means perfect. And what happens is we have this thing of self that keeps getting in our way. It's a speed bump that keeps tripping us. And what he's saying is, When that self gets in my holy presence, you want to die. That self is dying. It's being murdered. It's being incinerated right at that moment. Do you see that? God is the ultimate other. We need to love him and everyone else like he loves us with no thought of self, not even for a nanosecond. You know, I said 
And the Bible says that marriage is a type for our relationship with God. I discovered a deeper one. If you really want to understand who God is. It's not marriage. It's children. Is there anything that you wouldn't do for your child? Without any thought about yourself? <laughs> My daughter, one of them, is going through a tough time. She's a human being. It happens. I could stand back and just be sorry for her. But that's not what we do, is it? God, put it on me. <laughs> I don't care what it is. I don't care. Your son got hurt. Would you have traded? Would you even thought for a second about trading what happened to him? Would you have taken that on yourself? You wouldn't even have, you have no thought of self. <laughs> would there? In an instant, you would have said, do that to me. Let him off. <laughs> no thought of self. Now, watch this for a second, because this is just fascinating. Watch this. In a, in a certain way, a child is you. Much more than a wife is. You don't have any genes that are the same. But a child is half you. A child is you. Right? So you could say, well, so I love my child that way because it's me. Well, no, because you're willing to give yourself up for the child in a heartbeat. Less than a heartbeat. You're willing to give yourself up instantly. You see, now watch. Watch the analogy here. Watch this. It's beautiful. Yeah, that child's you. But it's not you. So it's not love of self to love that child. It's love of another but it's you. Do all of a sudden you understand a little bit more deeply what God means when he says he wants to make us all one? When he calls us all his children? You see it? This child becomes this perfect illustration of it's not love of self. It is love of another. But it's because that other is what happens to them happens to me. I said earlier that when you're doing the equation of love, you're usually driving or walking, and you see a need. And if the equation takes you five seconds, here's the need. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand, five, one thousand. That was a pretty quick calculation, wasn't it? I got through that whole calculation pretty good and I decided to help them. But if I'm driving, I'm a block away. <laughs> Do I turn around? Do you? Sometimes. Praise God. What do you do most of the time? I'll catch it the next time. Here's what God's saying. Our life is filled with I'll catch it next times. He's trying to get our life filled with this times. <laughs> Catching it this time. And the only way that we can catch it this time is if we're loving as God loves. And the way that God loves is with absolutely no hurdle of self. His whole orientation is other. 
That's what it means when it says God is love. <laughs> and in fact, isn't this what it means when it says consider others as more important than yourself? That's a nice little sort of Christianese thing, isn't it, usually? But do you really think they're more important than you? If there was a fire and you didn't know that other human being, you'd run out. There's a few people that would run in. But we, we make them heroes. Why? Because most people won't. <laughs> but if all of a sudden I'm seeing that the love that I'm to manifest is the love that God has, and the love that God has is ultimately after you, ultimately all about you. And now all of a sudden my reactions are not a calculation. They're a heart to touch, to meet, to do whatever it takes right now. And he quit missing the moments. And that's what God was doing <laughs> on that moment. I'm all about you. To the point, in fact, that God is God, creator, sustainer of all that there is. And yet everyone else is more important to him than he is to himself. And if you don't believe that, then you have to deal with Jesus. You see it? <laughs> if you want proof, Jesus is your proof. Positive. Gloriously. God help me. So this Christmas season, we want to come to know the depths and the full dimension of the gift that was given. What it really means. A new way of understanding love. We want to come to know that so that we can be the depths and full dimension of the gift that was given. Greg, would you come up here? I want you to take, just Greg, it was just a little background. I want you to just take a minute here with the Lord. And I want you to just go to him and say, is this true? <laughs> <laughs> is this really how you are? Is this really who you are? Is this really how you love? Because here's what I can tell you in this moment, what I'm going to be praying for. The more that I come to know God, the more that I come to know myself. I actually think I do pretty good if graded on a curve about being for other people. I'm pretty good about catching it. But you know what I see? thousands if not hundreds of thousands of missed moments that God had for me to be him <laughs> so I'm going to pray about I'm going to say God make me like you <laughs> right because here's what I can promise you you cannot on your own start loving the way I just described God loves because you still got flesh But you can do what it takes to get there. You can pray like Jesus did. And you can say, not my will, but yours. And you can make it so much your will that whenever I think about Julie and something that used to bother me, and almost instantly it becomes something that makes me love her more. Good trade. Lord, in Jesus' name.
thank you, God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Thank you. Surpassingly thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Teach me. Grow me. Show me. And then make me be that. Please, Lord, you're the only hope I've got of ever becoming it. I see you doing it as I just let you and as I participate in every way that you command me to. But in Jesus' name, let me to hear your voice and enter into your truth. In Jesus' holy and precious name. Thank you, God. Before we take communion, we're going to do one other thing. You go ahead and keep strumming behind. But in front of you is a piece of paper and, and a pen. And I'm going to give you a chance to put this into action because if we actually work at this, if we actually try something, the likelihood of us getting it goes up, right? So pick up that little three by five card and that pen. And here's what I want you to do. We're going to take one more second and I want you to write down the name. Write down the name of somebody who needs that kind of love. That instantaneous love. It may be somebody who hates you. It may be somebody who you hate. <laughs> it may not be. I'm just saying, let the Holy Spirit quicken you. What's the name of the person that God would give you to love like he loves? Having written that down, if you have a purse, fold it and put it in your purse. But if you, if you want to save room like I want to do, I'm just going to fold it and I'm going to rip it so that I can put this in my wallet where it'll stick out. And every time I pull my wallet out, I'm going to be reminded of that person. And I'm going to be reminded that I need to extend his love to them. So figure out how to do this in a way that you'll see all the time. And when you do that, you're becoming a present. You're becoming God's gift to someone who needs it. Reach down and grab these cups. Lord, first of all, I want to thank you for being here. I think you were. Thank you. God, thank you for taking something that was fairly deep and subtle and making it real and obvious. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we take this bottom cup in which is the life that we've led as dictated by self and we don't even need to get to sin. We just recognize that there's this speed bump in the way of us being and doing who you made us to be and do.
So in Jesus' name, we realize how much we've broken our lives and how many opportunities we've missed in others. And with that, we take our finger and we put it in there and we break it. And we do so with repentance and with thanksgiving, saying, thank you, God, for taking these upon yourself and not letting them suffer because of my lack and of healing me and making me whole. So in Jesus' name, we lift up your healing on the cross. By your stripes, we were healed. Take this cup. And now, Jesus, in the name that is surpassing, to the God who is surpassing, in the ways that we, we only get a glimpse of, and even that blows us away. We say, God, let this not be a pinnacle let it be but one small step that in Jesus' holy and precious name will take us to the giant that is you. God, make our lives be holy, fully, and only you. Take together. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ushers, can you come forward? Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, if you're visiting today, don't feel any need to put anything in here, but Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, you are spectacular. In this time when we are so cognizant of the gifts that you have given and we're in such an attitude of giving back, of giving to others, God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we pour out to you. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. If you're giving to the staff blessing, thank you for remembering that. But God, thank you in Jesus' name. Receive our gift with the love that is intended.